Welcome back to another edition of Broomsticks and Butterbeer. I'm Dan Rhino. I'm Jessica Rhino. This is episode 120. 20! As we continue our journey through Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. Uh, before we get started here, shout out to everybody in Ireland. Yeah. <laughs> I get these emails every once in a while from... Google or Spotify or whatever, the different podcast platforms, and they're just kind of, hey, did you know that uh, you have this many followers or this many people downloaded your show last week or this many people in this area of the world, you know, went up 4% or whatever. And this one was, hey, did you know that your podcast, Broomsticks and Butterbeer, ranks 12th? in the category of books, in the country of Ireland. We're big in Ireland. I guess. Like David Hasselhoff, big in Ireland. Oh, okay. He's big in just anywhere in Europe. Oh. Yeah, his music career, that is. He's big here for the acting, over there for the music. What's your favorite uh, top five David Hasselhoff songs? I'll take a drink while you're... Uh, the one in Euro trip. Do That's all I remember <laughs> all from I, it. I didn't remember any of it. I just remember that that it was in Eurotrip mm-hmm. and they kind of poke fun at that. He also uh, did the sound he also did the uh, theme song for Baywatch. Um. Some people stand in the darkness afraid to step into the light. Nice. Yeah. You kind of rolled your eyes when I did that. No. <laughs> no. No. It's no. allergies. So my eyes are a little fuzzy right now. Uh, well, as we record this in 2023, happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. And especially you dads in Ireland. Because we're big in Ireland. Uh, I wanted to say something clever there, but I couldn't think of anything. All I think was like, good day, mate. But that's, <laughs> that's not, not Ireland, Ireland at all. So I, I don't know why. At it popped all. in my head. Good day, mate, to all of our listeners in Ireland. Yeah. <laughs> Down under. Down under. <laughs> another shrimp on the barbie. <laughs> I don't know. Sorry, Ireland. Just sorry to all yeah, of you. Sorry to all of you. Uh, last time we talked about chapter 26, seen and unforeseen. Harry is starting to gain more support from the student body. Hermione tries to explain girl logic to Harry, who's having a very difficult time comprehending it. Gryffindor loses a Quidditch match to Hufflepuff. Can you drop me a Hufflepuff? Uh... We are not a threat. Please be our friend. That'll work. Or third or nothing would work. Third or nothing. Third or nothing. Harry dreams of that mysterious door again and almost opens it until Ron snores wake Harry up. Harry's interview with Rita Skeeter comes out in the Quibbler and Harry gets tons of mail from readers as well. Umbridge is very upset about this interview and bans the Quibbler from Hogwarts, which of course makes everybody want to read it. Harry has another dream where he's actually Voldemort in this one. Harry has an odd occlumency lesson where Harry actually sees memories in Snape's mind. And the chapter ends with Umbridge firing Professor Trelawney and trying to kick Trelawney out of Hogwarts before Dumbledore makes the save, allowing Trelawney to stay on as a Hogwarts resident even though she won't be a teacher anymore. And Dumbledore has found the new divination teacher already, that being Ferenz, the centaur who gave Harry a magical piggyback ride back in the first book. 
Yeah, that sums it up. So there were some things there I was like, oh yeah, oh, oh yeah. yeah, oh yeah. Remember that? I, you I remember? remember now. There was this old Chris Farley <laughs> skit from Saturday Night Live where he's interviewing Paul McCartney. He goes, do you do you remember when you were in the Beatles? <laughs> I remember. That's kind of what you're like. I do remember when that happened. I did read like, that. Like, do you remember when you said the love you take is equal to the love you make? <laughs> uh, chapter 27, the centaur and the sneak. That's what we're going to be talking about today. This one was kind of tense. Pardon me? This chapter is kind of tense. Kind of tense? Yeah. How so? We'll get there. <laughs> Spoilers. Give me an example. No, we gotta get there. So for me, this chapter was kind of like... I don't know, I had a hard time making notes for this chapter because it kind of just felt like there was a lot of little tiny things going on that I felt like I couldn't skip over, but I also felt kind of silly making note of it. So that's why my notes are a little extended today. Almost two pages. But you always do extensive notes. Uh, copious. Copious, notes. copious is the adjective I would use to describe the notes. So what is today's? Uh, long in the tooth. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's what the chapter is a bit long in the tooth, so my notes reflect that. But all the girls, except Hermione, thinks that Ferenz is super dreamy, don't they? Super dreamy. He's like a horse guy, right? Yeah. Okay. He does have like his shirt off. <laughs> yeah, I guess. But and apparently, really cool blue eyes and blonde hair and, and girls like horses. So I don't understand why you don't understand this. I don't know. I guess it's hard hard for me to envision being attracted to a uh, a different species of creature. Well, you need to open your mind a little bit. Okay. My bad. Uh, <laughs> so it's an added bonus. Not just that the girls find uh, Ferenz to be very dreamy. It's an added bonus that Umbridge probably doesn't like Ferenz. No. No, she does not. Because it's safe to assume that she's probably racist against centaurs. Yeah. I mean, she's racist against everything. Mm-hmm. So. Mu you know, uh, Muggleborns and... Muggles and giants and mm -hmm. half-giants. Yeah. Yeah. Probably Irish people. Probably. Everyone except for Fudge. Yeah. She's racist against everyone but Fudge. Fudge is just like a white guy, right? Yeah, but just specifically. <laughs> gotcha. Not all white guys. She's racist against some white guys. Not Fudge. Uh, divination class is no longer in the North Tower, mainly because that ladder isn't centaur accessible. So, uh, describe the new classroom that we're in. Um, Dumbledore has magically enhanced this classroom, so it looks like the forest. It's mossy ground and trees and boulders and, and apparently can change from night, from daytime to nighttime. Mm -hmm. Real quick. Just like turn the lights out. So this isn't like a room of requirement situation. This is just something Dumbledore conjured up to make friends more com comfortable. Yeah, it, I think it's more like the uh, the Great Hall with the ceiling mm -hmm. is to look like match the outside sky. This is to match the forest. So Ferenz notes that he'd rather teach in the Forbidden Forest, but he can't because he's been banished from the herd. Which probably explains that hoof-shaped bruise on his chest. chest. Now, is this just because Ferenz agreed to work at Hogwarts? Like, what's the... I guess I'm kind of having a hard time understanding. What's the normal centaur-human relationship like most of the time? Is it kind of tense most of the time? Is Do they mostly stay stay away from each other? I feel like it's tense, and they mostly stay away from each other. Um... Humans just have this tendency to want to hate master, things that are different. Well, them. and master <laughs> them. And what can you do for yeah. me? And, you know, not that the house elves are a great example, but 
especially the wizarding community, has kind of decreed that if you're not a witch or a wizard, you're a creature and you're lesser. Yes. And then they put the lessers to work for them. And the centaurs are like, not having it. They're like, nope. We and and I think because of that they have to draw a very hard line. And they're like, We don't do anything for mm-hmm. humans because that's give them an inch, take mile yeah. thing. Like we're not even gonna start. So I wonder was I mean, was there something like that happened in the past that caused the centaurs to be leery of humans, or is that just kind of their personality? Nothing specifically in this, the history that I know about, other than maybe that decree that you're a creature and you're lesser than us. Mm-hmm. I mean, nobody really wants to hear that. No. Or and, be around anybody who thinks they're that superior. And Dean's comment kind of goes to show you how misinformed some humans are regarding centaurs. When Dean asked if the centaurs had been bred by Hagrid, you know, almost like animals or pets. Yeah. And that was... Like that, the Thestrals. Right. He's, did Tagger breed you like the Thestrals? Yeah, did he tame you and breed you like the, the Thestrals? And Dude. <laughs> that Yeah, that didn't sit very well so inappropriate. for Renz. And the centaurs are obviously already a very proud... Mm-hmm. Um, I want to say proud people. Can I say that? Yeah. <laughs> a proud species. But something like that from Dean, who who didn't mean it in a mean way no in a hateful way understand it's just the literal definition of ignorance you know we've kind of taken the word ignorant to mean like you know yeah but it's not it's mean like you're very misinformed you know and almost the don't know any better yeah obviously the the upbringing that dean has had is obviously his parents have and are you know going to family barbecues or whatever you hear your aunts and uncles speaking their truths you know about my aunts and uncles speaking their truths on facebook all the time they don't like well one doesn't like you very much yeah but i found that out uh the other day we went over to my my parents house for uh early father's day and we knew he'd made comments judgments on life choices yeah for you and your siblings but to just blatantly be like I don't like them. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? This is this is my mom's brother. And you know, I I like everybody, you know. You're so tough. so it's it's hard for me to you know, not it's it's easy for me to get past our differences. And so it's hard for me to have somebody who I grew up with in my family and have such different political differences from me and my immediate family that there's this hatred now mm-hmm. and not on my end i don't hate him i there's there's very few people that i've in my lifetime that i've ever used that word toward and you have to be somebody who you know physically like assaulted my dog or physically assaulted one of my siblings or something like that mm-hmm. or you know it just it, it takes a lot for that kind of contempt to breed but not with him mm-hmm. <laughs> especially just because we have different political opinions and i think i posted i'm trying to think what what did i post that would have been because i'm not even like I, we don't i don't follow him on facebook so he would have to search me out in order to see when i'm posting i did post you know something pro pride month uh in the last couple weeks maybe that set him off i don't know know. my my uh my nieces and nephews are uh my my brother-in-law is from yemen i know (laughs) i know uncle doesn't like that and so my nieces and nephews you know have darker colored skin and I'm sure he doesn't like that. Reminds me a lot of Umbridge. Yeah. You know? And we talk about the 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 nuances and the similarities between, you know, these books and and what's going on in society. I think who were we talking to the other day was reading Fahrenheit four fifty one for the first time. 
and they they were talking about you were, I think it was yeah, might have been in Metropolis. It was, it was in Metropolis. Um, it, somebody um, was reading it for Ken? the first time. Yes, and was saying, yeah, this is there's a lot of similarities between what what's in that book and what's going on now. And good books have that. Good books are really timeless. Mm-hmm. You know, we've talked about in the past that I don't really find like the Mark Twain books are timeless. I feel like there's a lot of like disconnect between when they were written and society today. But they're still like defined as classics because at the time, you know, they were very popular. But I think there's a difference between being a classic and being timeless. And I think that these the Harry Potter books are going to prove to be timeless going forward just because of a lot of the, the mirroring that you see between society and what you see in these books. Well, you know, I like to write and I've done, you know, I've watched some like online videos for helping you write, read a couple of books and this and that. And I've paid attention to that. They talk about pretty much every book has a theme or several themes. And those like, it's, it's like 15 themes and every book can get put into one of these categories. And so I think that if you're if you're writing a story that follows this idea where it's you're picking up on one of these major themes mm-hmm. of life, yeah, then you're going to hit that timeless mark. Yeah. It's not just like, oh, I'm going to tell you a funny story about a clown that went and got ice cream, and it doesn't have any mm-hmm. theme to it, or a kid who paints a fence and goes on a raft trip. You know, yeah. it doesn't have <laughs> a major theme. I like that. I like you. <laughs> I like your synopsis there of, Mar- of Mark Twain. But it's really all I Dude remember. paints a fence, goes on a raft trip. Goes on a raft trip. <laughs> um, so, yeah. <laughs> if, if you're in on these themes, then yeah, you're going to be more relatable to people. That's how you sell, sell that book to kids. Like, what, Mr. Rhino, what book should I read? I don't know. This one... What's this one about? Ah, he paints the fence and goes on a raft trip. That doesn't sound very good, Mr. Rhino. It's the not, raft bud. raft trip might be fun. <laughs> you don't know. Read it. I, I don't know. I read it when I was younger. I was not impressed. I think that was like an episode of Dennis the Menace where he has to paint the fence and he tricks somebody else into painting the fence well, like for that. him. And then when I got to... When I had to read it, or maybe I think it was read to us at school. Like, they stole this from Dennis the Menace. I was like, what is <laughs> what this? What a rip-off. I've seen this before. Dennis the Menace did this. Mark Twain's got that uh, Rita Skeeter magical plagiarism <laughs> pen. <laughs> All right. Uh, it, well, it quickly becomes clear that Ferenz's teaching methods are very different from Trelawney's. But it's not just... The, the teaching methods it's it's the whole outlook right it's the whole, it's the overall it's Ferenza's overall theory of divination is way different than professor trelawney's isn't it yeah and her little her little followers are very sad so Ferenz is not having them you know do, do like tea leaves tea leaves or coffee grounds or whatever yeah the centaurs pretty much do the stars yes and they burn herbs mm-hmm which I think they didn't make a big fuss out of that, but there was just like a moment where it was like, we actually burned herbs, like we're mm-hmm. playing with fire in class kind mm-hmm. of thing, which I guess they do in potions. They have fire under their cauldron, but it just seemed funny to let a bunch of kids sit around in a pretend forest They're and fire. play with fire. <laughs> fire. Uh, but yeah, she doesn't, they don't really deal with the stuff that Trinidad did worried about like the oh be careful you might burn yourself next tuesday um yeah one of the one of the students sorry to interrupt you but one of the students said like oh yeah trelawney told us that like if mars is in retrograde then you have to stay away from like hot objects and yeah because you're likely (laughs) to burn yourself and and when jupiter's moons are waning (laughs) he's just like that's stupid and trivial like we study the stars and the the ebb and flow of evil in the world Mm -hmm. and we'll follow it for 10 years before we know exactly what's going to happen not whether you have to be careful around stairs yes yeah no but here here's the thing though like what forens is saying does make some sense when he talks about that 
you know, humans can't really comprehend divination like like centaurs can because we've seen Trelawney change her predictions just based on what kind of mood she's in. Mm-hmm. You know, she went from saying Harry was always going to die a horrible death, but then when the Quibbler article came out, all of a sudden Harry wasn't going to die a horrible death and he was going to live a very long life and, and become the minister of magic. But there seems to just be like major philosophical differences between humans and centaurs when it comes to divination. And humans seem more like the the old school carnival fortune tellers. Where yeah. centaurs seem more like the Nostradamus where they predict things like further down the road. Well, I think humans just, they're more, humans have a tendency to be more self-centered. Mm-hmm. And the immediate future, not the long-term future. Yes. Like, if I'm going to burn myself on Tuesday, I want to know because I have a trip coming up and I don't want to burn my hand and then not be able to have fun on my trip. Or, actually, I burned my feet by dumping hot water on my tennis shoes and then I had a a trip to Chicago that weekend. And I was like, I'm going to walk around Chicago with burned feet. But, yeah, something like that. But, like, that kind of makes a lot of sense, like, what, what you said about, like, humans are more, like, small picture Rather than me and now, like we are way more worried about making sure we have gas in our car than we are worried about what global warming is going to do to the planet in 50 years. Or for some, even like retirement, like Uh they're more worried about having a really cool, fancy car now than what they're going to do when it comes time they have to retire. Which one do you think I'm more? worried about retirement or having a cool fancy car i don't know you have that fancy silver batmobile van <laughs> don't make it sound like i own the bat you made it sound <laughs> like i owned the batmobile for a second you got this like 19 batam west 1966 silver batmobile like van. no it's a van it's it a minivan, minivan. For, that with batman stickers it on is it. a really cool minivan with power doors and a dvd player that we have never used we don't even know if it works don't know we had, should... that, had that van for three years as a DVD player, and it, they might have sold me a like just the like just the uh, the casing of it with no wires or anything. No, no, I inside. think we, we I pulled it down one time while I was in the back seat with somebody, and it, it powered on. So I know it turns on. Whether or not it plays a DVD or it just eats it and scratches it up, I don't know. Don't know. Maybe we'll find out when uh, Jennifer comes into town next week. I'll let you girls sit in the back, and I'll drive you around. You guys can watch DVDs <laughs> back there. We'll see if it works. See if it works. Because we're going to, Jennifer's coming into town. We're going to do all the St. Louis stuff. All the St. Louis stuff. And thing. then you guys are going to Chicago, Chicago. Hook up with Catherine up there. Yep. And you're going to ALA, which is the American Library Association. Yes. Annual, like, uh, convention and um, powwow. Powwow. Up there. Yeah, it's powwow. Yeah, a lot of cool authors are going to be there, a lot of uh, uh, presentations. A few cool authors like are going to be there. Well, I'm sure there'll be more, more cool ones. It's, it's not like BookCon and BEA. Those yeah. were like, they wanted to drum up excitement. This is more, more like a professional, professional, chill. I mean, even BEA, you did want to drum up because you were... Pitching to yeah, you're trying to get people bookstores to buy and people's hundreds of copies, copies of your books. Yeah, and you're gonna get libraries to buy them too. But mm-hmm. this is just librarians. It's just a little more focused on industry things. Mm-hmm. There's lots of seminars about how to, you know, deal with certain problems that arise in the library yeah. and things like that. It's it's more focused. Kind of like professional development. Yeah, meets uh, meets books. Books. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. So, like I said, to me, if I was going to practice divination, I would probably follow the centaur uh, methodology. And here's why. Mm -hmm. It's it's a safer bet if you're making long-term predictions, maybe like 10 years down the road. Mm -hmm. Because then if you're wrong... People have forgotten. You might not even be around for anybody to give you any trouble about it, or they might have just forgotten about your prediction. (laughs) Or you always have time to adjust and pivot. Because he was saying they'll study the the stars for like 10 years. Like you keep studying them. Things change. So you can always pivot a little bit and be like, oh, well, 
Now it's saying... Gives you a little bit more wiggle room. More wiggle room. It does. Now, I always thought that Trelawney was cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Yes. And that's the way she's portrayed in the movies. That's It's been very, very much like how she is in the books. Although, at, every time I see her in the book, I do see her character from the movie in my head, whether instinctively or not. But not your mother dressed as her? <laughs> my... my my mother bears a striking resemblance to Trelawney, especially when she's just a hot mess. <laughs> but Ferenz is making me think that divination just in general is just kind of a bunch of nonsense. Well, so the thing with Trelawney is, yes, she seems kind of like a fake and she doesn't seem like she knows what she's doing. But we do know... She's had at least one solid. Yeah. And she do, but she doesn't even know. Like yeah. she doesn't know that she gave that prediction. Um so she is has something there where she can give predictions and I feel like the rest of it she's just kind of faking because mm-hmm. now she's a teacher and she's got to teach this that she doesn't even understand herself. Mm-hmm. Cuz she has no idea that how she gives these predictions they just come. Right. So, yeah, I mean, she is kind of winging it. Well, Ferenz even says that humans were hardly ever good at the components of divination. And it even takes centaurs years and years to get good at it. And even centaurs read things wrong, even when they are good at it. So it kind of makes me think, what's the point of even teaching this? Yeah, I kind of got that feeling, too, especially when he said... Oh, don't worry about it. when they're looking at the smoke and they don't see this any symbols. Yeah. He's like, yeah, don't worry about it. We're going to see deal. it anyway. <laughs> but at this point, I think we're just trying to get through the school year. Yeah. You pulled in a long-term sub for the end of the year, and we're just trying to get through it. He's staying on topic. Yeah. But they don't, and just because they can't do it, they're still learning the theory, and they're still learning how centaurs do it. Mm-hmm. So if that is on the test. They can be like, oh, I know how centaurs predict the future. I guess it's kind of like, you know, t- religion classes in college. You know, they're not they're not trying to convert you to that religion. They're just trying to let you know that these religions exist and this is what they're based on. So maybe they're maybe the point of divination class is not to like teach you how to do it. Maybe it's very just few to, people have that right. gift. Even Trelawney, I think, says that at the beginning. But very people actually have the gift. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's more about experience. Yeah, being it, aware of being aware of what's of going it. on in the world. And I love those religion classes in in college, just learning about how people are different and how people, you know, practice religion differently and things like that. It wasn't a you know point to try to tell you one was better than the other, or that any religion is needed in any part of the world Mm -hmm. but just the fact to you know it's more like this is out there this is why why they think this and you know now you're more cultured now you're more aware so maybe it maybe the divination point of that is just to be more you know like if you took a class on giants they're not teaching you how to grow into a giant (laughs) you know they're just teaching you like how they live and what their history is and things like that yeah and I know I just said that they just pulled the long-term sub and they're trying to get through the year, but this is is going to have a positive impact on the future generation because they are going to get exposed to a centaur mm-hmm. and it's going to have a better rapport. Like, you know, mom's still going to be like, oh, they're just creatures. And the kids are going to be like, well, no, I know one. Mm-hmm. He's pretty cool. Yeah. He taught us lots of stuff. You know, yeah. it, it is going to help in the long run. It's I good know. for for Dumbledore inter- kind of scrambled, it's good for but the it does relations. help, and it even even more so hurts what Umbridge is trying to do. Yeah, so two birds with one stone. Uh, after class, friends ask Harry to stay back and wants Harry to pass along a very cryptic message to Agrid. His attempt is not working. He would be better to abandon it. And Harry and I don't really know what this means. <laughs> um. Is it regard? I know you probably can't tell me, but is it regarding Hagrid continuing his effort to do something for Dumbledore? Is is Hagrid trying to recruit 
the centaurs like he was trying to recruit the giants. You're going to kick yourself when you figure it out. Like, because like, a, probably, like a hoof right in the chest. You probably should remember. But, um, no. Okay. Uh, either way, when Harry passes along the ma- message, Hagrid insists that his inte- attempt is doing just fine. It's fine. It's all good. And then there's a, a little line where Harry warns Hagrid, don't do anything do- too crazy because Umbridge is just looking for a reason to fire you. And Hagrid says there's things more important than keeping a job. So whatever Hagrid is up to, it must be crucial to Dumbledore's efforts. Or I thought that was a pretty good line. Yeah. Hagrid doesn't bust them out very often, but I thought that was a pretty good line. Yeah, and that and again, there's a lot of uh, usually similarity between you know people and their jobs. You know, do you do you stand up for what you believe? And lose your job, or do you, you know, keep your mouth shut and maybe, if there's some kind of in, indecencies going on at your work, do you keep your mouth shut just so you can keep a job, or you know, do you do you do the right thing? You know, that could a lot of people can apply that to their mm-hmm. current situation. Usually, the the emphasis is always on you got to keep your job, you know most of the time that's the encouragement you'll get is you know just show up do your job keep your head down do your job but yeah there are times when certain things Mm -hmm. certain things are bigger than that Uh, Dumbledore's army is practicing their Patronus charms and some of the students including Neville are having trouble conjuring their Patronus is this due more to their lacking of skills as wizards and witches, or is it more depressing, especially in Neville's case? Is I it because know. they can't think of a happy thought? I felt so bad when they said that Neville was struggling, and Harry was like, you have to think of something happy, and he's like, I'm trying. And I'm like, oh, poor Neville. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't have a lot of friends. He's got Scram guy's grandma but she's pretty hard on him Mm -hmm. and expects him to live up to his parents to fill his dad's shoes and he's not really doing that and and, you know he's got two two sick parents and there's a lot in neville's life that's not so great so it's more just the fact that he doesn't have any happy thoughts i think so and i mean he's getting a little more confidence but Mm -hmm. he also doesn't have that confidence right and even if you have the confidence if you don't have the happy thoughts to <laughs> to go back on, well, Harry struggled. He yeah. didn't have a good yeah. life either. Yeah. Um. But he he came to Hogwarts and he made some really good friends. Mm-hmm. And we don't hear about that from Neville. Mm-hmm. We don't hear about his best buddy, so and so or whatever. You know. Yeah, and plus, like, I mean, Harry's had like the ath- the athletic achievements too with with Quidditch. And... They did get to take Jenny to the Yule Ball, though. Yeah, that's true. And they danced and had a good time. Maybe that's what he sees, like Yule Ball, Yule Ball, Ugh! and then he just starts dancing and he forgets about the Patronus. So that one's not working. Got to come up with a different happy memory. Uh, this class is short lived, however, because Dobby comes with a warning. She is coming. Umbridge has apparently found out about the secret club and all heck breaks loose. Uh, describe the scene here when everybody, everything just kind of goes haywire. Um, yeah, Harry just kind of yells, run, 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 run. And instead of being careful like they normally do and two or three people leaving at a time, they all just bottleneck at the door and try and rush from the scene. And then Harry, I guess, is the last to leave. He has to command Dobby to go back to the kitchens, go back to work, pretend you didn't talk to me. If she asked, you did not talk to me. Mm -hmm. And don't hurt yourself anymore. And then he leaves and he gets... It's almost like a fire drill that they do here. And you would have thought that they would have practiced for something like this. Yeah, I don't know. But it just, everybody just kind of goes running all different ways and Harry actually gets caught. I feel like if they had thought about it and 
this, you know, goes into the writing too, if they had thought about it and needed it, the rumor requirement would have given them a back door yeah. to get out. Um, I can say that confidently that there's, it's provided other exits in the future. So, However, would the room of requirement also give in umbrage what she needed, which was to know where how they got away? <laughs> no. I'm sure the room of requirement is more loyal to Hogwarts than to Umbridge. I don't know. The room of requirement kind of is supposed to give whoever goes in there what they require. When they, so what they if require like, Umbridge not to find them, so... But, but Umbridge really here? wants to find them, so what does it do? <laughs> I don't know. It's going to side with the kids. You would think so, but I don't know. Uh, Umbridge, with the help of Draco Malfoy and a couple of other Slytherins. Reliable students. Trustworthy students. Yeah. She's trustworthy. Uh, with the help of Draco Malfoy, triumphantly uh, captures Harry and Umbridge drags Harry to Dumbledore's office. And Cornelius Fudge is there. Along with Dumbledore, Professor McGonagall, Kingsley Shacklebolt, who we know is secretly working with the Order of the Phoenix, Percy Weasley, and another unidentified wizard, who we find out later. And there's a lot of... Um, this is the tension I was talking there's about. There's a lot of tension, and there's a lot of, like, wordless communication and from here on out we had Dumbledore telling Harry with like just kind of with just with a slight nod not to admit starting and running the club yeah he was ready to go for it he's like yes I did and what do you you know mm -hmm. just to make you mad there's a little whisper from Kingsley later on in the chapter that kind of has a, a a a big effect on how things uh, break out break down in the scene but Pretty much the rest of the chapter is Umbridge trying to get Harry expelled for starting this underground Defense Against the Dark Arts Club and defying her decree. And the person who snitched on Harry, no pun intended, uh, and his crew was Cho's friend Marietta. <sighs> and I know it's mentioned that Marietta's mother works for the ministry, but is that the reason that Marietta exposed the club and got a face full of pus-filled blisters because of the enchantment that Hermione put on that paper that everyone signed? It, it, did she feel loyal to her mom and by by extension feel loyal to Umbridge? What, what would cause Marietta to rat everybody out? I, I don't think it's ever really explained. But I totally forgot about the whole mom thing. So I always thought it had something to do with the fact that you know she, even from the beginning, she didn't want to be there. Mm -hmm. Cho drug her along. She kind of, Cho didn't want to go by herself, so she drug a friend. Then once she was kind of with Harry, she probably dropped that friend. That's what I'm wondering. It was, it, was it like because Cho spending time with Harry and pulling but then also, Cho away from her friend? Harry upset Cho. Uh-huh. So maybe she wasn't willing to tell on them while Cho was interested in Harry. But now that Cho is upset because Harry's interested in other girls, maybe now it's okay to, like, almost like a revenge thing. Like, I'll get you back for hurting my friend. More girl stuff that we just don't understand. <laughs> uh, Marietta gets suddenly quiet during the questioning part, and we'll find out later that it was actually Kingsley that modified her memory mm -hmm. ever so slightly. So I kind of thought at first when Marietta was hiding her face and wouldn't answer or shaking her head no, I kind of thought that she was worried that it was going to make the, the blisters worse. worse. But it turns out that Kingsley kind of went up and did a little whisper enchantment. Well, I think she was worried that it was going to make it worse, and she didn't want to talk anymore. She didn't want to show her face. She just wanted to go probably mm -hmm. lay in bed and cry. But... um so I think that worked to their advantage because then he just kind of played off that. And sure. was like doing the bare minimum. Umbridge's big piece of evidence, though, was the list of names in Harry's secret club because the room of requirement gave that to her. Mm -hmm. But it's the name 
of the club that is super shocking to Cornelius Fudge, the fact that the group is named Dumbledore's Army, which basically confirms Fudge's theory that Dumbledore has been recruiting an army, conspiring against Fudge all along. But that's not really true. No, but that is why they chose that mm-hmm. name. Right. Kind of poking fun at this theory of, well, Fudge thinks we're Dumbledore's starting an army. Well, well, that's what we'll call it. Dumbledore's right. army. But Dumbledore knows everything that goes on in Hogwarts. So he definitely knew that Harry's little club was happening. Yeah. But it seems like Dumbledore hears the name of the actual club and does a little improvisation here. I think so. Well, he might have even known the name of the club, mm-hmm. but he probably didn't know that she had the paper. Mm-hmm. So then, yeah, he's got to kind of. And you almost see like this light bulb go off above Dumbledore's head where it's like, I can keep the, get the kids out of trouble. I can. Get out of here, because I'm really got like my hands tied. And, ba- you know, based and on they're what, watching me. Yeah, based on what the ministry and... is doing and everything. They already think that I'm like conspiring against them. You know, might as well go with that. Mm-hmm. And even though I'm not at Hogwarts, I'm still you know very integral to what I need to do in order to you know fight what's coming. And so I can, I don't have to be at Hogwarts to do this. And you'd almost, you almost like see it all kind of click, you know, yeah, matriculate together. in his head there. So Dumbledore basically takes the blame for everything to do with the club mm-hmm. from top to bottom, takes the blame off of Harry and the other students, which. Well, and he claims that it hadn't even really started yet. Oh, yeah. The meeting was tonight and like he didn't even get there because he was in his office. Right. So he invited the kids to show up to this meeting, and then he didn't get the chance to show up before it got busted. Right. And because of the enchantment, Marietta can't say anything, mm-hmm. you know, against that. And this leads to Fudge demanding Dumbledore's arrest. But things don't go down exactly as Fudge planned, do they? No. This is a great scene from the movie, mm-hmm. too. It is not exactly how it happens in mm-hmm. the book, in the movie. But I didn't think so because I, I vaguely remembered this scene. I mean, it's just like everything else; they condensed it and chopped it down. Uh, but yeah, I think in the movie it's just real simple. He just does, gives that line about "You're confused. You think I'm gonna go quietly? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not." And then he just like claps his hand and poof, he's gone. Mm-hmm. This one's a little different, where he's like knocks everybody out and talks to Harry and. Uh, McGonagall, and then they all come to, and he's gone. And, and Dumbledore even said that, "Hey, yeah, I had to, I had to stun uh, Kingsley, <laughs> Kingsley too. Otherwise, so it would, success. yeah, otherwise <laughs> it would be suspicious." So Kingsley got a little bit of <laughs> uh, a punch in the gut, or whatever. Uh, sorry, magical tell him I'm punch sorry. in the gut, and tell him he did a good job with his little magic trick mm-hmm. to keep her from talking so not even dumbledore is strong powerful enough to disapparate from hogwarts so he grabs fox's tail and flies off into the night yeah presumably to carry out the next part of his ever developing plan yes and that is chapter 27 that's yeah we went through all those notes yeah anything else you want to add about chapter 27 the centaur and the sneak um I just liked how that last scene still, how Professor McGonagall was like, we have witnesses that Harry uh, was in the hog's head and he had this meeting. Oh, also the little line about, I forget the guy's name that was in the bandages that hurt everything. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And McGonagall was like, oh, that's why he didn't get in trouble for vandalizing all those magical toilets mm-hmm. and doing that. So you got criminals. Criminals you know, helping working, you working and you're spies. giving them passes to to go after children mm-hmm. in a school. Yeah. Um I also like the you mentioned McGonagall. I think you I think you said McGonagall said that he was in the hogshead. I think you meant Umbridge. Yeah, Umbridge in, said that he was in the hogshead. But when you said McGonagall it made me think of uh, 
think Dumbledore said something like, um, well, it's going to be all five of you against one of me. And McGonagall said, you're not going to be alone. And he's like, stand down. Stand down. (laughs) You have to stay (laughs) here. Minerva. (laughs) Somebody's got to stay here. (laughs) Somebody's got to run this ship. Somebody with put the wand away. A brain has to be in charge. Not that she'll be in charge, but yeah, be here. No doubt, we could take these guys pretty easy, yeah. but um, but yeah. And then he, she's like, he was at the Hogshead, uh, forming an illegal club, and Dumbledore's like, no, no, it wasn't illegal then. He has every right to go to the Hogshead and form a club. Yep. You banned it two days later. Uh huh. After you heard that he was starting a club. And then um, he said, what evidence do you have that these clubs, that these meetings have been going on for the past six months? And she was like, evidence? (laughs) What? Mm -hmm. How are you going to ask me for evidence? Like she was so thrown off that she would actually have to have evidence. So, yeah, those two things. I was just like, hmm. There's even a moment where I kind of forgot about it until just now where Umbridge gets so frustrated oh yeah that she kind of like grabs um what's her name yeah <laughs> what's her name Matilda? No, what, what was her name something with an m uh marietta marietta <laughs> matilda matilda <laughs> and like shakes her what is wrong with you and dumbledore is like, like hold on oh, he stands <laughs> up and he is ready He's like no like i've let you get away with a lot of stuff here but you're not going to be physically assaulting my students but where was dumbledore when she was torturing the students in the <laughs> in detention Ooh, yeah she gives um, him a couple shakes and and that's too much well that's right in front of him though he can't but he knows everything that's going he on he does but not everybody knows that he knows it so he can't like <laughs> But if it's right in front of him, he has to put his foot down. I guess so. But if he knows that she's doing it and he steps in, then know they that know, know and you that know she that knows that I he know knows. And that he knows. Yeah, it would just cause problems. Gotcha. Uh, no emails this week. You can always send those to us, broomsticks.butterbeer at gmail.com or tweet us at broomsticksb. That's Broomsticks, followed by the letter B, no spaces, no underscores. Or send them to us on Facebook. Just look up Broomsticks and Butterbeer on Facebook. And um, every time I log into Facebook, it's like, oh, 60 new people nice. are now following. I think we're like in the 900s on Facebook. I think if we get to 1,000 people on Facebook, we'll probably have to do some kind of big giveaway or something like that yeah. when we hit like a landmark like that. So... Follow us on Facebook if you're not doing that already. Follow us on Twitter if you're not doing that already. Uh, she's at Jess Rhino, J-E-S-S-R-Y-N-O. I'm at Dan Rhino. And um, you can find out what's going on in our world. I pretty much just complain about wrestling and you talk about books that you like. Yeah, it's just <laughs> book reviews. I don't get on Twitter much. But uh, we appreciate everybody for downloading, listening, and subscribing. Especially... Our friends down under in Ireland. <laughs> Do us a favor. Throw another shrimp on the bobby for Jess In and Ireland. I. I'm sorry. Eat your lucky charms. Like I, That's right. Ireland just doesn't have much that is like. A oh, no, I'm I sure the like people that. of like, Ireland would disagree with that. That's like a hot take. Catchphrases from, in America. Wow. Not much in Ireland. I would, they that, would that's disagree. Not what I, mean. I would like to go to there. You know the rhino. Uh, the rhino family has pretty uh, extensive Irish uh, heritage. We're not like O Rhino or anything, but uh, we got we got a lot of Irish in our uh, in our background yeah. on my dad's on my dad's side. My mom's side is uh, like German Polish. That's my grandma talks like, oh, Daniel. Oh, Daniel. <laughs> Don't talk like this. It's so cute. Oh, Daniel. Oh, Daniel. And we want to thank everybody for listening <laughs> to us. <laughs> now I'm kind of going into like a, like a German accent. I know. Yeah. You're... <laughs> we like the German chocolate. <laughs> at least you're not doing Australian, which was the only thing my brain could come up with. Yeah. Well, we apologize to all the people in the wonderful country of Ireland. You're going to get another Ireland. email that says... Nobody in Ireland listens to your podcast anymore. <laughs> You've dropped to 112 in the category of books out of I'm 113. Sorry. I didn't mean it like that. I just meant 
and, and you probably don't want any cheesy taglines in America for your country. Like you probably don't want Australian like, people probably don't like yeah, that we say good day, mate. You probably don't want us Americans like coming and visiting your country anyway, because you don't want us to like mess things up. Because it's beautiful there, I'm sure. It is. I want my mom like wants to go really bad. So uh, if you are from Ireland, uh, shoot us an email. Tell us uh, about the wonderful things that Jessica should do when she visits your country. <laughs> it's just gonna be like, no, don't. You know, I asked my dad uh, when I told my dad about the how how highly we rank in Ireland, and I said, should I like start doing an Irish accent to like appeal more to the, the Irish people? He said, no, they probably like your accent. Just like I love, I love Irish accents. Yeah, because they're it's very different from from my midwestern twang or whatever I've got. Eh, I don't know that midwestern appeals to anybody. But I don't know. It probably just sounds, you know, very different to people in Ireland. Maybe that's what they they like my sultry midwestern <laughs> voice. I think I think we need to stop. We need to go. Yeah, we need to stop. Uh, Before thank- we insult any more countries. Yeah, special thanks to Jennifer, Catherine, Luke, Amelia, Jane, Ronnie, Anastasia, Kelly, and Olivia. That's the inner circle here at Broomsticks and Butterbeer. Thank you to everybody in Ireland, everybody in the United States, everybody Catherine's in all Irish, parts right? of the I don't know. Isn't her little email Irish Ruby? I, nobody knows who that lady is. <laughs> oh, okay. We, we were in our, in our group chat, and all of a sudden somebody named Irish Ruby... 91 popped in or whatever i'm like who is this weirdo and then Catherine. Catherine said it was her but i don't know about that oh okay we'll we'll have an intern dig deeper into that we'll report back next kelly's time kelly's our intern and they're best friends so i don't think that's that'll be on the up and up yeah, kelly kelly will kelly will do things by the book hmm. <laughs> seems like she'd be pretty trustworthy i think but only Catherine can tell if Kelly's lying, and Catherine's the one we're investigating, so that will be a big mess. Well, we'll try to unravel it next time. <laughs> mysteries <laughs> mysteries of the world and whatnot. Uh, thanks, everybody, for downloading, listening, and subscribing. Until next time, be a wizard, be a witch, be a muggle, be a squib, but don't be a jerk. Or get. See ya. Bye. Sean Peacock Fish fun were far, Rock Shin, Hun Glock, Scutchin were.